Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. In the movie Lion King where Mufasa is sitting with young Simba. You remember this part of the movie? And they're looking over Pride Rock and they're seeing all of it. And Mufasa says to his son, Simba, one day, son, all of this, everything that the light touches will be yours. And in that moment of the movie, you get kind of like pulled into the story of the family and you get excited for Simba that he has this wise, sage father that's going to teach him and train him and mold him into the person that he's supposed to be. And then the movie goes kind of south. But anyway, um, most of us in here probably don't have a Mufasa-like situation. Um, I doubt many of you probably have a king father that is talking to you as a young prince or princess and saying, all of this that I have is yours. Most of you probably have something similar to this. (laughs) Where the man in the walker is standing in front of this overloaded garage and he says, son, one day... All of this is going to be yours. And we dread that day, right? We dread that day. Oh, man. Most of us will probably experience this scene. We've got stuff everywhere. Amen? Everywhere. Guess how many items the average American home has in it? Every item. Every fork, every shirt. 300,000 items are in your home right now on average there is enough storage space in the rent of storage spaces in america right now for every man woman and child who is an american citizen to stand and have their own space in american storage there are five times as many storage units as there are starbucks in america right now <laughs> 22 percent of people that have two-car garages cannot park in their garage Whew. I'm glad I'm not one of them. I'm the 39% who can only put one in their garage. (laughs) Did you know that? On average, the American woman will spend eight years of her life shopping. You didn't like that, did you? Since we don't count Amazon, the man will spend an hour and 45 minutes. But if Amazon counts, then that's worse. We will spend 153 days of our life looking for lost items before you die. We as American citizens, Western culture citizens, have massive amounts of the world's wealth and we give 1.8% of our income on average. And yet we spend $1.2 trillion dollars a year on non-essential items. $1.2 trillion a year on non-essential items. The home organization market totes, bins, racks, shelves has exploded on the American retail scene doubling every year since 2010. In fact, by next year, it will be a $25 billion industry selling us stuff to hold our stuff. You all know what I'm talking about. How many of you want to have a yard sale this year? 
Yeah, that's right. It's crazy. We have stuff everywhere. And this is not just an organizational problem. This is not just a logistical problem. This is not just a space problem. This is a spiritual problem. I hope you came today, this morning, ready to seriously think about changing. Actually changing today. Because the church of Jesus Christ has an unbelievable opportunity to be distinct on this front in the American culture. To look for a simple lifestyle. See, Jesus warned us about this. Did you know Jesus talked about money and possessions more than he talked about heaven, hell, prayer, and faith? He talked about money and your possessions more than any of those other things. Heaven, hell, prayer, and faith. That's crazy, isn't it? Because he knew that your money and your possessions have power. Now, they're inanimate objects, but they're powerful because they give us liberty to expose what's real in the inside of our hearts. And regardless of whether they are inanimate or not, they will do either a great amount of good or a great amount of destruction based upon the person who's using them. And regardless, there is power. That's why Jesus said you cannot serve God or your stuff. You're going to serve one or the other. Our story today is about a young man who has everything you'd ever want. He's rich. He's young. He's powerful. He's religious. He's an upstanding citizen. People in the community where he lived would have respected him, would have looked at him and said he's made it, would have been impressed with him. They probably would have been studying him to say, how do we get ahead like this guy got ahead? And he was laying his head on some beautiful pillow in a beautiful bed every night in a beautiful home, going to sleep saying, I'm still missing something. I'm empty. There's something not right about my life. And he hears about this man who's claiming to be the Messiah, and he runs to him, and he, out of respect for him, falls on his knees and says, Good teacher, will you tell me what I've got to know so that I can inherit Zoe? That's what the Jews called that. Eternal life. And what he meant was something different than what we in our sort of more modern understanding of eternal life might sometimes think about it. What he was talking about for the Jew in the first century was this belief that there was going to be a Messiah from God who comes who will get rid of Roman control where they live and restore Jerusalem to power so that the Jews would then have a great life again, eternal life, Zoe, the fullness of life. He's saying, I want to make sure I have that. I'm missing something. This man had everything, yet he had no idea how to have what you and I would call the best life possible. And that's what every single one of us want, is the best life we could have. His problem, we're going to learn, is his stuff. Not just that he had stuff, not just that he had wealth, because wealth and stuff in and of themselves are not to take the blame or not the problem. But the problem was his wealth and his stuff were in the way of him having eternal life. And I want to learn from him the power of possessions, our stuff. The first power possessions have is that they can blind us. Possessions can blind you. This man runs to Jesus and he says, how can I have this blessed life, this good life, this eternal life? Jesus answers him in a really unique way. He says, keep the commandments. In other translations or other uh, accounts, they say he asks, which ones? And Jesus answers very uniquely. Do you notice the ones that Jesus answered? 
How many commandments were there? Ten, right? How many did Jesus say? Five. He gave him commandment number five through commandment number nine. Now, why would Jesus select that slice of the commandments? Interesting, isn't it? Well, he left out the first four. The first four have to do with vertical relationship with you and God. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, do not have or make an idol that you will worship and serve other than God. Number three, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Number four, keep the Sabbath. Know how to rest from your work. You think that man was keeping those? He loved something more than he loved God. He probably, weekend after weekend, took the Lord's name in vain. Yes, it means more than just saying OMG to take the Lord's name in vain. To sing, to pray, and to not actually mean it is to take God's name in vain. How many Saturdays did he sit in the synagogue or the temple offering prayers, offering song, saying, God, you are great, you are all that I need, and maybe not ever really actually believing it. He took the Lord's name in vain. And I wonder if there were a few Sabbaths where he said, I really like to rest. I know I'm supposed to, but man, i got to grind today. Today's the day i got to make it. And if I grind today, I can relax later. He was rich. He was powerful. He had it all. But he was blind because he didn't know what was keeping him from life. Now, the last commandment, do you remember what number 10 is? He's got all the do nots, right? Don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, all these do nots. But the last one is, you shall not, do you remember? Covet. Jesus leaves out, you shall not covet. Covet means to yearn, to possess for what you do not have. And this man was blind. He was missing some of this. And so he says to Jesus, I've kept every one of these from my youth. But these possessions he had blinded him to the reality of where he still was falling short. And you know, Satan has always used possessions to blind us from realities. Genesis chapter 3, what did Satan use to blind Eve? A piece of fruit, right? Something she could possess. If you get this thing, Eve, you'll have everything you ever wanted. And she gets the thing, and all of a sudden, the world is broken. Her life is broken. Satan has been using possessions to lie to us about the good life from the very beginning. And the same is true today. In our culture, in today, he is using possessions to lie to us about how we find the good life. Let me share with you a couple realities that possessions have blinded us to. Number one, your possessions are temporary. The house you live in right now, give or take about 120 years, most likely will not be on this earth. Do you know that? The house that you have right now, most likely will not be standing in just a few generations. It will be gone. Wow. The car you're driving, within 30, maybe 40 years max, will not be on the road anymore. The clothes you're wearing within 20 or 30 years, unless you're Gene West, will not be still in your closet able to be worn. Right, Gene? Gene's got this possession thing down. He's figured it out. The toys that we buy our children will be gone probably within an hour. But it's not just how long you have things or how long they last. But it's actually how long these things are in your hand. You see, you and I are creatures bound by time, which means that whether you like it or not, God will make you a giver. Did you know that? Because on the day you die, guess what you do with all your stuff, whether you like it or not? You're giving it to somebody. God will make you a giver. 
And what he doesn't want you to miss is the joy and the beauty of, being, of learning how to give before you die. Every single one of us, the things that we have, the things that we live for, the things that we cling on to, we come into this world empty-handed. And guess what we do when we leave this world? Go out what? Empty-handed. Possessions blind you from this reality that they are temporary. That's why Jesus over and over told us to think about that which is eternal. Number two, your joy is not found in your possessions. Did you know that? Take a quick inventory of the things that bring you the most joy, the most amount of joy that you can imagine. Your friends, being with them, right? Whether you're paintballing or you're going on a bike ride or you're playing games or car, whatever, your friends, your spouse, your children, you don't own them and yet you enjoy them. How about a vacation to the beach? How many of you own Beach prop, beachfront property. No, seriously, I want to know. How many of you own <laughs> beachfront property? Anybody? Well, do, so you guys can't enjoy the beach because you don't own it? You enjoy it fully, right? You get on a boat that you don't own. You sail out into the ocean that you don't own. You eat food that you didn't. You enjoy it, right? We enjoy the massive amount of things that we actually enjoy are things we don't own. And yet, imagine this. In a consumer-driven society, marketers would tell you that you won't have joy until you own something. Who's it, who, to whose advantage is that? The person selling you stuff to buy, right? You can't have fun until you own something. That is an advantage to somebody trying to sell you something. Listen, there is so much joy to be found in the things that you actually don't own. Number three. Your wants are not your needs. I probably should just let that sit for a minute, right? Your wants are not your needs. Many of you probably have homes right now with a bunch of stuff in it that nobody's at right now. And if that house with all of that stuff came to the ground, you could still be okay, right? Find a hotel to sleep in tonight. Figure things out, get some clothes, get fig- you would be all right. Our wants are not our needs. Consumer culture has bred within us a demand for excessive comfort for survival. 22% of people in America right now earning over $100,000 say they report that they don't have enough to get everything they need. 45% of people. of people making $50,000 to $100,000 a year say they don't have enough money to buy everything they need. We are materially dissatisfied because we live in an economy that is based upon your consumption and we have been trained, we have been trained to believe that we are happy when we are consumers. And the reality is you were actually born to be a producer, not a consumer. In fact, the word consumption for many, many years was a negative connotation which meant to destroy and to waste. And so many years ago, if you called somebody a consumer, what you were doing is saying you're wasteful. You're a destroyer. You don't care for protect for things. You're just one of those consumers. And now consumer is almost seen as like what we're supposed to be. 
You were not born designed to be a consumer. You were born and designed to be a producer. God put Adam in the garden and told him to tend to the garden and keep the garden. Protect it and grow inside of it. Do something with it. That's in you. That's why we're so dissatisfied. Our wealth has grown tremendously. Our homes are three times bigger than they were 50 years ago. Our houses are full of stuff, and yet we report continually that we're not happy people. Because joy is not found in consumption, it's found in production. So possessions can blind you, but they can also bind you. Yes, that's what I mean, bind you to slavery. The rich young ruler wants the right thing. He goes and he says, I want eternal life. He goes to the right person, Jesus. He calls him good teacher. And he's given the right answer. Jesus looks at him, he loves him, and he says, you got to get rid of your stuff, man, it's stopping you. And the rich young ruler can't pull the trigger. He can't do it. He knows what he wants and he knows who to ask, but he can't pull the trigger. His possessions own him. See, that's the great misconception about your possessions, right? You think you own them? We call them possessions because we think we're the master, we're the owner. The reality is our possessions end up owning us. They control us. You see, his possessions controlled his decision-making. Possessions have a way of running our lives. It's almost like a sort of slavery, the more stuff you have, the more complicated your life becomes, right? Just think about the times when your life was probably the most simple. It's usually when you own less stuff. At least I think about when we first got married and we couldn't afford a thing. You know, we lived in this trailer in Athens and we could afford dial-up internet. We didn't, I think we had a computer by then. No cable, you know, we, we couldn't go out to eat. And our lives were simple. We had great joy. And all of a sudden we make more money and have more stuff. And there's more stress, Right? How many of you feel stressed about organizing your house in the next three months? Getting things picked up, figured out where they go, finding a nook, a cramp, right? It's unbelievable. The more we have, the more we have to manage. The time we spend moving things from this closet to that closet, from the basement to the garage, finding space to store things, buying bins to put inside of bins so that we can put bins on a shelf where the bins are, right? Stuff everywhere to manage and fix and to find, and then we have to find times to use it. We have more stuff to manage. It demands more from us, and also possessions control our decisions because then we have to oftentimes repay. We have more to repay. Pardon me. More to repay. We are burdened right now with crushing consumer debt. In fact, I find a lot of people want to become better givers, more generous and when that spirit, that attitude comes upon them where they want to be more generous, they see opportunities to give, they want more flexibility at the end of the month so they're not so tight with their money, they want to be able to enjoy giving to other people, and they just can't because a massive amount of their money is tied up in obligations that they have made through their debts. We're getting ready in just a few weeks to start a Dave Ramsey class, another one. Some of you should really seriously think about taking that. Dave is not the only guy that teaches financial wisdom, but he's one guy, and one of the things he's going to teach you is how to aggressively liberate yourself from these massive obligations financially that control your life. How much of your monthly money is decided already month after month where it's going to go? You know, payday is no longer payday, it's just transfer day. It just goes from one account to the other, and you give it to somebody else because we're overwhelmed with debt. You see, this man, his decisions were controlled when he, because of his possession, it says that he walked 
away from Jesus. His possessions made his decision. But his possessions didn't just control his decisions. His possessions also controlled his emotions. When he was told by Jesus what he needed to do, because of his great possessions, it says that he was disheartened. That's a weather term, which means that you got a bright, sunny day, and all of a sudden the cloud, the gray clouds roll in, and the whole thing's dark. His life just went dark. He's there in front of Jesus. He's hearing, you got to keep the commands. He's thinking, I, I keep these commands. I'm going to have eternal life. And Jesus says, hey, listen, your possessions are stopping you from having life. And the lights go out. And he's emotionally sad. And it says that when he walked away, he had great sorrow. He was full of grief, the same kind of grief that you would experience if you lost somebody you love. This man had deep, deep sorrow. His experience was awful. No one chooses to experience life disheartened and in sorrow. He came searching for joy and he left with sorrow for one reason. Because he had great possessions. And not just because of the possessions, but because Jesus said those possessions stand between you and following me. Remember he said to him, you need to sell all you have, give to the poor, and there's an important and after that. And follow me. His joy would not have been found in Jesus just saying, sell your possessions and give to the poor. He would have had a momentary, like maybe a lift of dopamine in his brain. That felt good to give my money away. And then all of a sudden, whoa, I don't have anything left. The joy was actually when Jesus said, sell all you have, give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Come follow me. But see, possessions were not just supposed to blind us and bind us. They're actually supposed to bless. And possessions can bless. They can bless you. Like Paul told uh, Timothy when he was instructing him about the rich, that, plus, that, that possessions can actually bless us. Did you know that? They can bless you. God wants you to enjoy your blessings. He says this in chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Meaning, don't build your life on what you have. Don't build your life on what you've accumulated. But to be rich in good works. Pardon me. I'm sorry. He says in verse 7, not the uncertainty of riches, but build your life on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy that he actually wants you to enjoy the things that you have but you won't enjoy them if what you need from them is only what God can give you but once you get from God what he can give you you can begin to enjoy what you have you'll learn as he says in chapter 6 the beginning of that chapter what it means to be content with what you have to not look at your life and say when I get the next thing I'll finally be happy but actually what I have right now be happy with it the second thing, he says that possessions can bless other people. There's this important passage in Acts chapter 2 when the people first became Christians. They learned about the grace of God. And in chapter 2, verse 45, it says this. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any person had need. Your possessions were given to you by God to be useful in the blessing to other people. In fact, your, blessing, your possessions are a trial run for eternity. They're a test from God to see, to let it reveal from inside of you what you really love and what you really serve. How you use your money, how you use your possessions reveals who you love and serve. And every one of us has an opportunity to look at our lives and say, who do I love? Who do I serve? My stuff tells me. 
but ultimately they can bless God. In fact, God tells us we're supposed to honor him with our wealth. The first of what we receive, we're supposed to give back to him and honor to him. Jesus told a really important parable one time about possessions. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who was searching, and he found this pearl of great price, this thing that was so valuable. And he went away, and he says that he sold all that he had so that he could buy this one thing he found to be most important. And you can take that parable one of two ways. The first way you could take it is this, that when you and I find the kingdom, that it is of utmost value, that yes, Jesus asks for everything, but he also promises us everything. He says, you have treasure in heaven that we sell all that we have, that we're willing to just open our hands with our possessions and go after him, that we will get rid of anything that stands between us and following him, that we'll do it today so that we can have him. But there's another way to look at that parable, that there was a man who saw the kingdom of God, the people that would become God's people, and was willing to sell everything so that he could buy it. And that man, that merchant, was Jesus Christ, who saw great value in the possession, not of things, but of you. He said, I want you to be mine. I want to buy you with a price, and I want you to belong once again to me. Even though you once were mine, and you've gone away, I want to come buy you again so that you would always eternally be mine. And the price that he paid was not just some money, not some years of labor, but his very life so that he could release us of this belief that having possessions will give us what we want, but actually having him is where we find joy. And he gave his life so that we could be free from the sin that separates us from God. He came back to life to pave a way for us to know that when we have eternal life with him, it will be everlasting, and he sets our sights from temporary to eternal. What are your possessions doing to you right now? You've got to ask. This is one of those things that you've got to ask yourself. What are my possessions doing to me? How am I living day to day? How do I think about my next day, my next month with all my money and all that I have? Do I think about how can I use this to serve God and serve others? Do I think about how can I consume more and have more? We've got to check. And if you don't have the one great possession, that relationship with Jesus, nothing will be right with you. And if you need that, won't you come as we stand and sing?